You might assume that two professional women, both journalists who spent half their working lives, 30 years or maybe a little more, in one job with the same employer, might be resistant to change. It's scary to walk away from something you've loved that paid you very well and garnered lots of admiration. But then something happens that makes you think, am I stuck in a rut? Is there something else I can do in later life that might be exciting, different and useful? I'm Jenny Murray and this is Now I'm Grown Up, a podcast about living longer, changing career and education. Each week we've heard from people who've returned to the classroom. Now they're truly grown up as teachers. In this final episode, I've been talking rather intimately with Lucy Kellaway, one of the founders of Now Teach, a charity which helps established professionals retrain as teachers. She was a journalist at the Financial Times, and we share the experience of that big leap in later life. I had just turned 70 when I walked away from Woman's Hour and the BBC with a determination that retirement is a dirty word. So what it been like for both of us to leap into the unknown just when we're expected to slow down and chill out? Lucy, there have been so many changes in your life. Your book, Reeducated, you say you've changed your job, your home, your husband, your hair. Why so much change after so long? I really did not wake up one morning and say, right, I'm changing my house, my husband, my job, my hair. Let's roll my sleeves up and get started. It wasn't like that at all. I think it was that I had got a bit stuck. All this change came after decades of complete sort of, well, stagnation would be putting it too unkindly, but I had been doing the same thing for a very, very long time. I'd been dyeing my hair. I'd been married to the same person for a very long time and cracks were appearing in that. But I think what happens is that you do one change, one change that seems very, very radical to you because your life has been change-free for so long. And that somehow makes the other changes much, much less scary. So to the extent to which they were linked, it was because of that. And for me, the thing that started it all off was moving away from my family house, um, which meant actually making my separation from my husband permanent. But I didn't think I would ever be able to do that. But once I had moved, even though it was only down the road by three miles, everything else started to change and unravel too. What is it about 30 years, do you think? Because my big change came after 33 years in, in the same job. Yours was 30 years. Why that period of time? Why did we not think after 10 years or 25 years, oh gosh, you know, I'm stuck in a rut here, let's do something different? I think there are various things going on there. I think first is our generation that when we started, you know, people would say, what do you want to be when you grow, when you grow up? as if the answer to that question was a single thing. And so when you become a journalist, that's it, you're a journalist. Um, so the thought that I would have multiple careers 
had actually not really occurred to me. So it was partly that. It was also that when my children were small and later when I was looking after my aged father, change just didn't suit me. If I could keep, if I could keep my working life going so much, the better. But there was something else too. There, there is this thing, and it's something we've covered a lot in this series of podcasts about living longer and being able to work for longer. And I could see on my pension statement that I get my pension when I'm 62, which by the way is tomorrow. Um, and I suddenly looked at it when I was four years shy of that date and thought, hang on, I am nowhere near ready to retire at that time. I want to do something different. So in a way, it sort of took me by surprise. This wasn't what I had planned. But is there something about 30 years itself? Well, maybe it's just too long. I mean, for some people, 10 years is too long. But if we haven't fallen at the 10-year mark or the 20-year mark, the 30-year mark, no one surely can go on doing the same thing for quite that long. You see, I'm a a bit older than than you I was seven well 71 this year and I decided to leave woman's hour when I could see my 70th birthday was coming up uh, and that was quite a significant birthday especially during a pandemic where I couldn't have the 70th birthday in Paris that I had planned but I thought if you don't make the change now you're never going to do it mm. and and you know I've always said retirement for me is a, a dirty work there's no way mm. I could retire mm. but I wasn't as brave as you I didn't go into teaching something completely different I'm sort of playing about with journalism still I'm writing and doing bits of television so I haven't completely walked away from the journalism but you have And what was it really like for you to actually walk away from colleagues and that daily routine of being in a fairly free environment where you could pretty well get on with what you wanted to do, right? What do you wanted to do? And suddenly in school, the rules are strict and maybe difficult. What do you miss about the FT? Well, first of all, I mean, it was absolutely terrifying walking away. Um, I hadn't, I just hadn't expected that. But, you know, we've talked about 30 years. These were, various of my colleagues unkindly pointed out that my relationship with the FT had been the longest and most stable relationship in my whole life. Um, But to some extent, that was true. I mean, these people, to say that my family would be utterly naff and not true, but I had spent so much time with them. The routine of office life, the trips to the vending machine for Kit Kats and Diet Cokes and, you know, the punctuation of my life, all of those people who I knew so well. The FT was kind of my identity as well. You know, I was practically a child when I started working there. So suddenly to cut that was terrifying. And I hadn't expected that. It hit me completely sort of by surprise on on the last day and was really quite traumatic. So it was that miles more than the thought that I was going from a free environment to a more 
um, much more structured and hierarchical one that you just adjust to. You think, right, oops, okay, I can't go out and have coffee whenever I like. And if I'm one minute late for um, my morning briefing, I will probably get told off in front of the whole school. And all of that's a shock, but it's not a sort of body blow to the very person who you think you are. Did you feel that Woman's Hour and the BBC, but particularly Woman's Hour, was actually part of who you were and it was very frightening leaving that behind. I had worked at the BBC since 1973 so that's a lot longer than 30 years. I started off in in local radio in Bristol, went into television in Southampton and it was always the BBC and you know you can phone anybody up and say you're from the BBC and they will jump usually I don't think I've ever been refused anything if I've used my status as a BBC presenter it was strangely mixed actually it was a huge relief to think I'm leaving the BBC I'm going to be free from its constraints and there are constraints when you work for the BBC because you are not expected to give your own opinions you're just expected to extract other people's opinions But then missing, first of all, every day with really, really interesting and engaged people and having conversations with them. My cat's just joining us. And also losing that status. And yet I walked away from Broadcasting House where I'd walked in for God knows how many years, virtually every day, and think, oh, I never have to come back here again. Mm. But now, you know, nearly a year since I left, if I see a news bulletin that shows Broadcasting House on it, there's a little pang of, Mm. oh, I've missed that. Do you still say we when you're talking about the BBC? No. No, you don't. Ah, I'm still inclined to say we about the FT four years later, so maybe you've made a cleaner breach than I have. How much do you miss it, even now? Not at all. (laughs) Not even slightly. The only thing that I miss a little is those long chats I had with some of my columnist friends who were so clever and such a laugh. But actually, they were friends. So guess what? I still have them sort of post-FT and I haven't lost them at all. I think the reason that I don't miss it one jot is not because it wasn't wonderful. It was completely wonderful. But it goes back to what you and I were saying earlier. After 30 years, I was done I I was more than done, in fact. I mean, everybody's saying, you know, we're going to have a hundred-year life. I'm I'm not convinced from the way that I've lived my life with, you know, far too many evenings out with friends and (laughs) far too much wine and cigarettes that have gone on for far too long that I will make it to a hundred. But my parents would have been horrified to think that... At the age of 70, I was embarking on a whole new way of working and still insisting that I must earn money to keep my lifestyle up. They would have just said, oh, no, you know, retire, retire when you're 60, retire when you're 65, ease up, enjoy life. I couldn't enjoy life if I were just not working. 
Why is that? Why is the thought of retirement so frightening to you? I know it's frightening to me as well. I get bored if I don't have work to do. You know, I've always worked all my life from... I worked harder at school, frankly, Lucy, than you confessed to having worked at school, (laughs) having having read what you've written about it. But always, it was work, 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 get on with your work, go to university, get a good job, do well in it. It's still at the back of my neck all the time. Is that a strength or a weakness, do you think? Um, my husband used to say that I had to be so busy all the time because I couldn't bear the emptiness of my own thoughts, which wasn't particularly nice of him. But do you think there's an element of that too? I think there is. And my husband, who I am still married to, would certainly say similar things, you know. And the thought of slowing down fills me with... Potential boredom, actually, mm. because I I love working. I find it interesting. And I'm still doing podcasts and writing columns and just finding things interesting all the time, which I'm not sure, sitting in the garden, having a conversation that we've probably had a million times before, my husband and I, is mm. really what I want. Mm. Mm. No, I absolutely agree. But for me, it's interest, but it's also new experience. And it's the optimism of the young. I mean, I I sort of say to myself that part of the whole grey hair thing is I'm not frightened of being older. I think it's great to be older, um, whatever. But I'm almost undermining that myself in the way that I'm attaching myself to young students and young teachers as if I'm some sort of ghastly old parasite who's drawing some energy out of them. How difficult have you found having to completely retrain to do something and then struggle with adapting to it? Um, Do you mean sort of being bad at something? Well, Um, I know know you're not very good at computers (laughs) uh, and I'm sure all the children in your classes are absolutely superb at it and probably think, oh my goodness, she can't even do that. Yeah, I mean, look, the whole thing of going from being good at something to going to being very poor at something is a huge big deal, absolutely huge, because competence becomes part of your bearing and your personality and you know you're Jenny Murray you're a brilliant broadcaster it's part of who you were and so I found being Lucy Kellaway useless maths teacher was really quite hard but it was hard in a sort of bracing hair shirt sort of way like stepping into very very cold water Um, I thought, whoa, this hurts. But I also thought this is very good for me. And it made me feel very um, so on exhilarated because I was so on my mettle. Though, actually, I mean, you mentioned the the uselessness with technology. And yeah, that's not fun. If you go, you, you know, you've got 32 hostile teenagers in a class and you can't actually control the Zoom button on your computer and they're all sort of weeping and laughing and you're getting more and more flustered. I mean, that's horrible. You feel, yeah, you feel an inch high. 
So, I mean, I've made an absolutely big deal about saying it's fine to be 62. Look at me. I've got my gray hair. You know, it's great. But I I wonder whether I'm, as it were, pulling the hair over my eyes and ignoring this great age stigma that faces us, especially older women. Um, how much have you experienced that, Jenny? as a broadcaster and very much in the public eye? I wouldn't dream of giving up my hairdresser. <laughs> as far as the age thing is concerned, I mean, certainly when we look at the BBC, Angela Rippon is still working. Um, oh, that lovely cook, what's her name? The one who did the television series about um, people baking. Yeah, Mary Berry. Yeah, she's, what, 90, I think, or mm. heading for 90 and still doing it. I think things are changing, and certainly when, when we look at films and, and drama on television, there is more work for mm. older women. And I think we've just got to push ahead at it and just say, look, here I am, I can still do it, I'm mm. still mm. good, my intelligence is still intact uh, I can still write. I can still. I've still got a decent mm. voice, and and just keep at it. I may be imagining that, but I hope things are changing. I'm slightly more worried for teachers. Teachers have got very, very, very much younger. I'm the oldest person in my school by two decades, and what some of the now teachers are noticing when they're applying for jobs is that they're not even getting onto long lists. Um, we need to do more work about this. So, I, you know, I, I, I mention it now as something that I'm worried about possibly for the future. But I'm thinking in these sort of very go-go academy schools where most of the teachers are in their 20s and 30s and the head is likely to be maybe in their 40s, that they look at us and think you're weird and you're old. Um, I really hope that's not the case. And if it is the case... Oh, my goodness, the army of now teachers will be fighting back. Um, but it is something I'm slightly worried about. Well, and so you should be fighting back because you you bring so much. I'm not saying young people can't teach and can't pass on the information that the kids need. But you have wisdom and, and life experience, which mm. are really important, mm. I think, for the children mm. to to have. And also for them to learn that... You can look at somebody who's in her 50s, 60s, 70s yeah. and and trust that she will be interesting mm. and competent mm. and good at what she does. So I'm really glad you've got Now Teach mm. going. I may have said before I was, I was rather tempted by it. But then the more I've got to know about the hard work that you've had to put into it, whether I would be able to do that i'm not sure i would be able to get up so early prepare my lessons go in deal with a classroom of possibly difficult teenagers and and then get home and have to go to bed at half past nine i think i'd find that really hard but Jenny, you've just disproved that in everything you've said. You've talked about your work ethic and 
how it's absolutely still with you. So I think you have nothing to worry about on the hard work front. I think your IT skills might need a bit of brushing up. Um, but, but, but otherwise, your communication skills are beyond parallel. What do you think about the work itself, the teaching itself? Does that appeal? You see, I'm not going to let you go. I've done some of it in the past. When I was a student, I was an assistant in, in Paris and did a lot of teaching with little French pupils, teenage pupils. Uh, I was supposed to be teaching them to speak English. I think I learned more French from them than they ever learned English from me. And I really enjoyed it. But I enjoyed it because it was, you know, I'm a performer. I think all of us who work in broadcasting, we find pleasure in writing and using the language, but we also are show-offs. We're performers. On, on the question of status, you, you have an OBE. I'm a dame, never been more shocked in my life than when that happened. Do those things still matter to us as we get to this stage in our lives? Do we still hanker after status? It depends what you mean by status. Um, when I left the FT, you know, the sta status was so important to me of being an FT columnist. And when I left to become, as I saw it, an anonymous teacher, I thought I've gone post-status. I'm too old for status now. I absolutely don't care. I'm not impressed that I'm an FT columnist. Why should anyone else be? Um, what I discovered then was so surprising that it, through setting up Now Teach and encouraging all of these other people who had done apparently high status jobs to go to the relative obscurity of the classroom, we all found that our status, instead of plummeting, actually went up with other people saying, wow, that's amazing that you're doing that. Tell me about it. That's so interesting. It's so brave. I mean, I reject the idea it's brave, but whatever. You know, so this real, you know, other people were, instead of being incredulous, were impressed. Um, and that was so surprising to me and, and, and not what I expected. And as far as the OBE, um, I felt maybe like you, very surprised and kind of sheepish. The sort of, oh, it's all sort of a little bit embarrassing. But um, seeing the responses of the young teachers in my school and of some of the students, I have done a massive about turn and think this is a real honour. There was a knock on the staff room. I, I, God knows how they knew about it. Maybe there was something on social networks or something. There was a, but there was a knock on the staff room and these four rather naughty year 10 boys came searching me out. Three of them I don't even teach. And they went, Miss, have you got an OBE? And I said, yes. And they're going, come Congratulations. And so I told them that I was going to go to Buckingham Palace to pick it up. And they were sort of levitating with delight. And I think it was as if they felt that their proximity to me and my proximity to royalty and to this honour, really an honour, sort of elevated all of us. And I thought that was so lovely 
But it now sort of makes my blood boil, the sort of people who sort of say, oh, well, I was offered an award, but I turned it down because I sort of don't believe in it. I thought, no, you know, this is a really, really lovely thing. So I am unbelievably pleased and very, very proud. But but what about, you did say about status, did you, has your status declined either in the eyes of others or in the eyes of yourself? I think in the eyes of myself, I, 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 I never, I mean, I, I used to, pretend I was my secretary when I was trying to book a posh restaurant for a special <laughs> occasion. And, <gasps> and I'd say, oh, hello, um, I'm just calling on behalf of um, Dame Jenny Murray, as I'd use the dame, um, uh, from the BBC, and I would get a table like that. And I can't do that. I mean, I can still be Dame Jenny Murray if I want a decent table at a restaurant. Yes, I feel I have lost something in that. I belonged to the BBC. I mm. loved the BBC. I admired the BBC. Um, maybe I don't admire it quite as much as I used to. Do you think that these relationships are very asymmetrical, that the BBC is always going to be bigger to you than you were to them. Oh, absolutely. And that, and that you only really learn that when you leave, and it's kind of painful. It is. I, I can barely listen to Wumda because, um, not that I'm overtly critical, um, but, you know, <laughs> uh, if on the occasions mm. I switch it on, I go, hmm, you should have asked that. Mm. Oh, for goodness sake, ask her that. Oh, for goodness sake, don't let her get away yeah. with that. And I, I, I can't just sit and listen and enjoy it. And I'd listened to Woman's Hour since I was born. You know, I was breastfed to Woman's Hour at two o'clock in the afternoon in the years when people had that very strict four-hourly feeding pattern. And two o'clock in the afternoon was, was one of my mothers. She'd sit down, listen to Woman's Hour and feed me. So I, it, it had always been part of my life. So my prediction, Jenny, is that you will get that back. Um, so for the first year after I left the FT, uh, I couldn't read it. Just seeing the pink paper made me feel slightly sick. Four years later, I'm back. I think it's the best newspaper in the world. I read it for pure enjoyment. So there you go. Maybe the same will happen to you. I hope so, actually, because it is painful. But what would you advise young people knowing what you do would you tell them to leave their careers sooner? No, absolutely not. I mean, the, the idea of what you did, of leaving and doing something completely different but equally satisfying, if not more so, um, is one thing. Don't get stuck in a rut is very important, I think. Mm. Uh, even though it's terribly comfortable, you're doing it very well, people are admiring you for it, it gives you status. Um, but if you begin to feel your... Because actually towards the end, I did begin to get a bit bored. I mean, the pandemic didn't help, having to interview people as we're doing now, down the line, because for me, the pleasure of what I did was people coming into the studio, mm. sitting opposite them, they could see my face, I could see theirs, um, and that was the real pleasure for me. The pandemic really 
than on that. Mm. But I think you you have to really think very carefully about whether you love it or not. I suspect you loved doing what you were doing most of the time, even though being a columnist is scary because you have to come up mm. with something terrific every week. Mm. At least with what I did, I had producers coming up with wonderful ideas all the time. Do you have any ambition left? Oh, my goodness, yes. I mean, doing this is the most ambitious thing I've ever done. So it's more that my ambitions have changed and ambition is normally seen as you know about advancement about importance about if I was an ambitious teacher my daughter is also a teacher she's a very ambitious teacher and her ambitions I hope I expect that she will be very senior within a school or within an educational establishment of some sort but my ambition just as strong as hers is to really crack teaching. And that seems such an... So I'm starting teaching A-level next year. I am really ambitious to do this as, as well as I can. And that seems as scary as, as a ambition as any I've ever had. What about you? You're looking at me with amazement. I don't know that I have any ambition anymore other than to look forward to doing the things that I'm employed to do rather than dreading them <laughs> because there are occasions you know I write a weekly column now for the for the Daily Mail and there are occasions on a Tuesday morning when I speak to my editor about what I'm going to write where I am more terrified than I've been in my entire life you know she's gonna think I'm an idiot or and say, no, 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 you can't possibly write about that, which tends not to happen. We have a, a good relationship. Yeah, that's, that's being a columnist. That never leaves you, I'm afraid. But <laughs> is it wonderful to be freed from ambition? Yeah, it is, actually. It is. I, I, I look around and think, what would I really, really, really want to do? Would I have liked to have presented a television programme that was important and popular? Would I like to present the Today programme, which I have done? I mean, I did that for two years before I did Woman's Hour. And every time I ask myself that question, the answer is no. You don't need to be in a position where you have to get up, you have to go there, you have to do it brilliantly and be told you're wonderful. I just don't need that anymore. So I'm doing, you know, podcasts and writing the column and doing little bits of television here and there. Um, and it's it's pleasurable. The majority of it is just pleasurable. And I don't have to tear myself apart worrying, except on the occasional Tuesday morning. It's lovely. But without the psychic damage that comes from the sort of work that... We've, we've both done, perhaps. Exactly. I, I was interested in your advice to young people about not getting into a rut. Um, mine is slightly different, and this is what I say to my own children when they're worrying about, you know, what are they doing with their lives and are they wasting their time? It's, it's fine to waste your time because life is so long. 
and if you're doing something that maybe isn't really right for you, um, there's no particular hurry to switch or to do anything because if your working life is going to be 50 years, you'll sort yourself out eventually. And I say it to my the, the teachers at school who are sort of saying, oh, maybe I need to get out of teaching before it's too late. And then I laugh and say, it wasn't too late for me at 58. And they look at me half amused and amazed, but I think also pleased. You see, people always say life is short. No, oh, no, it's not. <laughs> Do subscribe to follow this conversation and revisit any of the episodes you may have missed. And if you've enjoyed this series, please do us a favour. A five-star rating on Apple Podcasts really helps other people find out about us. We would be most appreciative. If you're interested in more stories about change, education or teaching, check out the blog on the Now Teach website or follow Now Teach on social media. Bye-bye for now. Now and Grown Up is brought to you by Now Teach, a charity which inspires talented people to bring their experiences into the classroom. If you feel like a change and want to use your existing skills in exciting new ways, head to nowteach.org.uk to find out how they could help you help young people like me. Or if you know someone who you think would be an amazing teacher, send them this podcast. Maybe it'll be just the push they need. And don't forget to follow the show and leave it a rating on Apple Podcasts. Now I'm Grown Up is produced by Antonia Cundy and Theodora Leludis. And the credits are read by me, Ty Holbert, age 13.